Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast. I'm Jeff, and recently my co-host Andrew and I got to cover the Austin Film Festival, where we interviewed a lot of great writers and directors and actors. During the festival, we uploaded shorter versions of all of these conversations, and now, over the next few weeks, we are going to be uploading the longer versions of all of these conversations we had during the Austin Film Festival. So stick around, it's going to be a lot of fun. Welcome to the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined alongside my co-host, Jeff, as always. Today, we have on actor and filmmaker, Laura Atkin, who discusses her new film premiering at the Austin Film Festival. Hello, everybody. This is the Filmmaker Mixer Podcast, and we are talking all about the Austin Film Festival this week. And one of the cool movies you'll get a chance to see at the Austin Film Festival is called Reuniting. And we have the pleasure of having the director of Reuniting, Laura Adkin, on the show with us today. Uh, Welcome, Laura. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Thank you. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Well, you know, I really enjoyed your film. It's fun. It's heartwarming. Um, I'm sure you've gotten this comparison, but it it reminds me of, you know, The Big Chill or Return of the Secaucus (laughs) 7. It even had kind of a John Hughes vibe for me. I don't know, maybe I'm crazy, but the way you mixed in the music on some of the cuts, um, I just just really enjoyed it. So you wrote the film, you directed the film. I'm curious where this idea came from for this story. So it's funny that you mentioned The Big Chill because that movie actually sparked the idea for this. So like, oh God, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, I was at the Toronto Film Festival and they had, I think it was the 25th anniversary screening of The Big Chill. And I went and watched it and all the cast was there. Like almost oh, wow. everyone. Oh my God, it was so great. And the director was there and they were talking about it. And I just thought, you know, I really loved all of those movies, those 80s and 90s ensemble dramas, Breakfast Club, Steel Magnolia is like every John Hughes movie. Like I loved those movies. Those are the movies I watched growing up. And I'm like, nobody makes those movies anymore. And so I just sort of had that in in the back of my head for a while and kind of put it aside. And when it was time to write my first feature, I knew I wanted to make, I knew I wanted to do an ensemble. And I just, I kind of pulled that idea back and I'm like, let's, let's make that type of movie where you just have people dealing with stuff right and it's like all the conflict and the drama comes from just people yeah and you got a uh, you know as Jeff said at the top of the show you've got a great ensemble cast I'm curious how did you go about casting the film were there any prior connections from previous projects were you just cold calling or cold casting I'm curious because you know you have some recognizable faces in the in the film yeah absolutely so when I was first deciding what I wanted to do for my first feature, um, I talked to a good friend of mine um, and he's a writer director and he's like, Laura, you need to work backwards. He's like, what do you have access to? And one of the things that I thought about, I was like, I have access to a lot of actors in that sort of age range and sort of like late forties age range. So I'm like, okay, great. Well, where can I go from that? So Michelle Harrison, who plays Rachel in the film, Um, she was always in my mind from the very beginning. Um, I've known her for like 20 years. Um, Bronwyn Smith, who plays Carrie in the movie. Um, I've known her for quite a while as well. I'd never worked with either of them before, but both of them were sort of in, in my mind for that. Um, David James Lewis, who plays Danny is my husband in real life. So I knew locked in um and you know so I, I had an idea for for those three in particular 
And then um, with Roger Cross, I I knew of him. I didn't really know him, but Michelle knew him. And so she put me in touch with him. Uh, Carmen and I have worked together a few times previously, but she actually came on board three days before we started shooting. We had another actress uh, cast and then she she booked something way bigger that was going to pay her way more money than I could pay her. And so, you know, that's totally fair that she took the thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, Carmen stepped up and it, it's so crazy to think that anyone else was ever going to play that role. Um, and then, and then Jesse, um, you know, him and Michelle work together on a show. Just FYI, I am a SAG member, just so that we all are clear with that. So I'm not going to talk about any shows that are struck. Um, so they worked on a show together uh, that had superheroes in it. And um, Michelle just said, well, what about Jesse? And I was like, uh, Jesse L. Martin from the original Broadway cast of Rent. Um, yes, please. I never thought he would do it in a million years. And then he said yes. So that's kind of how that happened. It all happened very weirdly organically. That's wild. That's wild. And, you know, and, and as I mentioned, um, you know, the the kind of the John Hughes vibe I got, one of the things, um, and this applies to the Big Chill and all those movies, but one of the things that makes these types of films work really well is the soundtrack. And you've got some great music in the film. So I'm curious, did you think of particular song titles as you were writing, or did you just have a great music supervisor to help you figure that out? Or how did you build that soundtrack? Because it's it's quite good. Yeah, thank you so much. We're really, really proud of it. Um, FYI, for filmmakers out there, music is really expensive. Sure. Um, <laughs> This was a lesson I learned making this movie. Um, I always had an idea that I wanted music to play a really big part uh, in this. And so I didn't have any songs in particular in my brain. I had the sort of vibes that I wanted. And we did. We had uh, really great music supervisors that that just found so many things and worked really, really hard to get us some of those those songs. I knew that I really wanted a recognizable 90s song to open the film. Um, and so we open with uh, Montel Jordan, This Is How We Do It. And I, that's the, what I right. knew I really wanted. The fact we got that song is like, it's so insane. <laughs> that is crazy. So so do you actually have the song or is this like a festival uh, nope, license? We have, we have full rights to every song that is in that um, in in the movie. That is crazy. That's interesting. Yeah. And how difficult was it to pull that off? I mean, was it just, I'm curious. I mean, did, was there a lot of negotiation going on there or was it just? How, I how think you... so. I think here's the thing. When you're the director, a lot of the time you just say, this is what I want, please. And then uh, people do a lot of work and then they go, look, we got it for you. And you're like, oh my gosh, amazing. Um, but I think there was Isn't a that lot. how life should work? Should we all just say, I want this, please. And they just give it to you. <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh, everyone worked really, really hard. And, you know, we had a mix of really great indie artists that came on board. So we're really excited to showcase their music. And then, you know, some of these these bigger songs as well. But yeah, it was it was definitely a lot of work that our music supervisors had to do. That is crazy. And, you know, circling back to your ensemble cast of characters, there's a really interesting balance between you know, all the different characters. I mean, each one, well, for lack of a better word, each one kind of has their archetype. You know, you've got the responsible mother figure, you've got 
the court jester and that was now that's your husband right david james lewis you said mm-hmm. i love that character he was so so entertaining um so i've got a question this is a writing question um to balance all of those characters did you go back and do specific passes on the script looking at like one character to make sure you you know got their arc from you know where you wanted it to go did you do passes on the script that were character specific absolutely um absolutely i think sometimes when you have a big cast of characters one or two of the characters can feel like the same person uh so i really wanted right, to make right. That, yeah, right. If I'm going to have six distinct characters, they have to be distinct. They have to each have their own individual arc. They have to have their own storyline. Everything has to kind of be very specific to them. Otherwise, I would cut them. So at one point, I think I thought of having more than six. And then I was like, no, no, it's too many. Six felt like the perfect number. Even having access to, you know, cast, did you cast the movie while writing it as in you knew this actor would be playing this role or how were you writing it ahead of time as well yeah so I knew from the beginning that I wanted Michelle to be in it I didn't tell her though so I didn't tell her until I had a script (laughs) but I definitely she was in my mind the whole time as I was writing the Rachel character I always knew that David was going to play the Danny character so I, I wrote that very specifically for him um and same with Bronwyn and then everybody else I had, um, I sort of a, an archetype in mind, but it wasn't until we got to the casting phase that, and then I changed stuff, you know, based on the actors that we hired. I think it's really important to, you know, that when you're writing something, you have an idea of who the character is. And then when you cast an actor, it's time to have some collaboration and see their ideas and and what they bring to the table as far as their character, because, you know, no one is going to work harder or care more about their character than the actor. So I think it's important to, you know, have those conversations. And so I met with all of the actors before we shot, you know, to talk to them about their characters and answer questions. And if something didn't make sense to them, we would find a way to make it make sense. Cause sometimes you need, something to happen for a character to make the story make sense. Uh, So we just wanted to make sure that the actors all, you know, really felt like they were part of the process. No, that, that totally makes sense. And, you know, staying on the topic collaboration, I'm curious because it's such a good ensemble cast. Was there a lot of improv during the scenes, you know, letting them make the characters their own or rehearsals beforehand? I'm curious how much maybe off page you went or if it was super just what the script had uh, on the day. Um, if we could have had rehearsal, that would have been my absolute dream. Uh, indie film. So there was, there was no, uh, you didn't have any rehearsal at all. No, no rehearsal. I wanted to, but you know, we shot in, in the middle of the pandemic, like before vaccines, before, like it was, it was crazy. And like travel advisory that we filmed on an Island and, oh my gosh, it was just, it was so crazy. And so we really didn't have time. And we based the whole shooting schedule around Jesse and Michelle, actually, and Carmen were all on this superhero show. And it was supposed to end on a certain day. And so we based our entire shooting schedule on like them ending on a specific day. And then uh, someone on their show got COVID and their whole shoot got pushed a week. So we had, it was just so crazy to try and figure out schedules and move things around. I did write people out of scenes. We had to, oh, it was just, it's completely insane. 
So no, we didn't have any time for rehearsals. Um, and as far as improv goes, not really. I mean, they're all really good actors and, you know, it, it was never improving lines. It was like, hey, Laura, I'm not sure if this line makes sense. Can we talk about it? And then we would talk about it. And then if it needed to be rewritten, I would rewrite the lines. But there wasn't a lot of like people just like doing their own thing or anything like that. Well, I'm I'm curious because you're an actress as well. Mm -hmm. And I know one of the things I'm always fascinated when I talk to actors is <clears throat> there's that that thing that they have to do when they're reading a script to make that character um, real. And it's, it's not just about, you know, doing the action in the, in the action lines and, and reading dialogue, you know, it's the business, it's what they do. It's their, their posture. It's how they use their body, all of those things, the business that they use in the scene. Um, since you're an actor, did you try to incorporate some of those things into the script or, did you just let the actors figure out how they wanted to embody those characters or was it a little bit of both? I mean, I guess my question is as an actor, how did that affect your writing the script? I think the way that it affects my writing is that I really trust actors. I really trust them to take the information that I'm giving them in the script and take it even further. So I don't, I like to give them enough information that they, they know what's going on and then from there, they take it further. So, you know, I, I never I never told them how to walk or talk or whatever. Um, I let them all, like, figure that out. And, and we would talk through a lot of that. I think wardrobe also really helps. Like, I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, all, all of our characters have a very distinct style. Um, and so collaborating with the actors on what they were wearing, I think also really helped distinguish their personalities. Um, yeah, wardrobe is so, so important in, in a film and for an actor in particular. So yeah, there's just like a lot of collaboration, but I just, I, I think as an actor myself, I just, I know what actors are capable of. So I just, you know, trusted them. Well, I'm also curious. I want to. I want to go back to a writing question. I'm kind of bouncing around, but um, you know, we talked about doing a pass on the script based on the you know the cat or based on the character. Um, there were a lot of great. I'm going to call them throwaway lines. I, I don't mean throwaway throwaway lines as in they're not important. But there's a lot of comedy in this that are just kind of in and out, and the lines come fast. You know, I could have killed and not have my dad beat me with a belt. That kind of, oh, that yeah, kind yeah, of line. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those kind of lines are are sprinkled throughout, and it's really smart writing. Um, so I'm curious, did you do a pass on that as well, trying to figure out how to keep your characters entertaining and keep that banter going? I don't, oh, that's such a good question. I don't think so. I think just like organically, it just made sense. I, I always knew I wanted it to be an irreverent drama. I knew that I wanted to have a lot of comedy in it just because I think when you have such heavy subject matter, which, you know, your audience will see when they come watch the movie, what that is. Um, but I think you need to have levity and you need to have jokes. And I think that's what I was thinking of when I was writing those. It's funny that right. you mentioned that particular line that, that David had. People fought me on that a lot. And I'm really? Like, no, it's funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. Why do you think? I'm not sure. I think it was just like, whoa, that's like really harsh. I'm like, yes, but the character would say that. Like also that time frame of how old they are, their parents fully would have beat them with belts. Like that was, <laughs> that's what would have happened, right? <laughs> 
like, uh, you know, looking at it now, any parent is like, oh my God, I would never beat my child with a belt. But like, I don't know, that's sort of a thing that happened in the 70s, 60s. I don't know. <laughs> so I know you spoke about, you know, scheduling conflicts during the pandemic, but besides that, I'm curious, what was the most challenging part in getting the film made once you were on set actually making it? Um, yeah, I mean, once we got on set, that was probably the easiest getting to the set in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, finding people to give us money uh, to make the movie <laughs> was probably the most difficult part of it. But, you know, once we, once we got there, it was like this magical filmmaking summer camp. We all just kind of like lived on this island and just like hung out and made movies and yeah it just it I think I'm I'm looking at it honestly with like rose-colored glasses and it was like the most beautiful amazing thing I've ever done whereas my producer would probably be like ah no Laura all of this stuff happened but honestly I don't remember I just remember all of the like amazing stuff that happened yeah, and I read on your IMD page that Reuniting was developed through Women in the Director's Chair and their Story and Leadership Program. I'm curious, how does that program work and how did it impact you making the film? Awesome. Uh, thank you. So that is a wonderful program. And um, every year they select eight um, female identifying uh, or non-binary um, people to participate in this sort of incubator. And some people have films, some people have television shows, and uh, you do a week in Vancouver. Uh, it might be different now because I think it went online. But anyway, it was uh, 2019 when we did ours, so it was great. So we had a week in Vancouver. We did all sorts of workshops and, and all sorts of stuff. And then we went up to Whistler, which is like uh, like a sea town, <laughs> um, but they have a festival up there. And we did meetings and more workshopping. And so not only was it amazing to develop my script and talk about the story and, and figure all of that out, but that is actually where I was at a party at the festival. And I ran into my friend, Krista, uh, Krista Rand, who I just looked at her and I was like, oh my God, you should produce my movie. Um, and then she came on board. So that was probably one of the most amazing parts of the women in the director's chair program is it, it got me to a place where Krista, uh, came on board. And so, yeah. So I'm also curious because, you know, my, my guess is this is a very personal story and I could be wrong, but the way you, the way you tackled the subject matter, you kept it fun and funny, but it's also a drama and it's got some really nice emotional moments. Did that come from anything personal in your life or? Where did so, some of those ideas come from? Yeah. So a lot of the time in my own writing, I like to deal with things that either scare me or confuse me or or things that I want to learn more about. Um, and death is something that really <laughs> terrifies me. And I don't know, maybe it's just, I think about death all the time and I think about dying and I think about everyone I know dying. And so I just was like, I think you I need, need, to, you need to, when you're in Austin, you need to come relax. <laughs> I know, right? Um, I just like think about death all the time. Um, but I, was, I was like, okay, so this is weird that I think even my husband is like, why are you always talking about death? And I'm like, I don't know. Um, so it's like, I need to process this. I need to process um, aging and dying and different life journeys. And so, you know, I've, 
the the thing that happens in the movie, which I don't want to give away, I've never experienced that firsthand. Um, but I know people that have gone through that and and I'm like, oh, what would I do? Like, what would I do in this situation? Um, and that's really why I wanted to have an ensemble because I wanted everyone to have different points of view because they thought sure. it was really important to show, you know, how different people react to that. And the other thing that kind of sparked this whole idea for me is so my day my day job is I'm the director of performing arts at a um at an acting school and I was just sitting there and I was watching like all these young actors come in and they're you know like 18 years old and they're like so excited to be actors and I'm you know I'm gonna be 40 next year and I was just thinking about myself 20 years ago and what I wanted and what I thought my career would look like and and I just started thinking about that and about looking back on those expectations that you have when you're young and literally anything could happen. Like when you're 18 years old, oh my gosh, the whole world is ahead of you. Um, and yeah, so I wanted to kind of deal with what I like to call the the second coming of age. We do all these coming of age movies when you're you know leaving high school and stuff. But I think, you know, this sort of next chapter where you know, your kids are leaving the house or, you know, you, you're kind of nearing retirement or whatever, like, what do you do and what do you think and what is that like? And so, you know, again, just trying to deal with all of the things that I'm curious about. So do you have a, a creative process when you're coming up with a story or when you're writing? I mean, you know, we've talked to writers who are very disciplined and they, you know, they sit down and they, uh, you know, they they do beat sheets and they card things out and and they work at specific times of day. And then we have other writers that you know, a little more, a little more freewheeling in how they create. And and there's no right or wrong. I mean, you you do what works for you. So I'm curious, do you have a process for that? Yeah, I totally do. And it's taken me a long time to to figure it out. Um, and it's funny cause I teach screenwriting and I teach the like outlines and beat sheets and, and, you know, doing all of that work ahead of time, but I don't actually do that <laughs> myself. <laughs> so um, now students stop listening. Don't listen to this. <laughs> yeah, no, I also don't shot list when I make a movie. So I do all the things you're not supposed to do, but I, I do them after knowing how to do the stuff, if that makes sense. Right. It's um, intuitive. But- yeah, exactly. And, you know, my process is is pretty straightforward. I have to work in the morning. I absolutely have to write it in the morning. Once I start my day, I I can't write. My, my mind is somewhere else. I have too much going on. So, you know, when I started to write, my stepkids were still like living at home. And so I needed to wake up before anyone else woke up. Um, so writing this film, I woke up at like 5.30, 6 a.m., um, and I, I never work for more than two hours at a time. Even that's kind of a lot for me. Um, but what I do is I get my coffee and I get my water and I set myself up and I turn off all of my like internet access and everything's on airplane <laughs> mode. Um, otherwise I'll be on my Facebook. Um, and I'm not sure if your young listeners know what Facebook is, but um, <laughs> I use Facebook still. Um, and then I I write and I actually I read Lauren Graham's book. She played Lorelai Gilmore on the Gilmore Girls. And she said in her book that she would always have a notebook next to her whenever she was writing so that if she couldn't 
write what she was writing. She would write in her notebook. So at least she was writing during that time period. So I started doing that and it works really well. So, you know, I'll put my alarm on for an hour and I won't do anything but write and then it'll go off. And then I'll either, you know, get up, walk around, uh, you know, <laughs> make myself another cup of coffee, check my Instagram or whatever. Um, and then if I'm going back, then I'll do the same thing again for an hour. But I never like to write for more than two hours at a time. And I also never like to stop when I don't know where I'm going. So I always like to stop writing before I'm finished my thoughts. But you want so you want to know where you're going uh, when you pick up the next day. Is that what you mean? Exactly. I want to know exactly where where I'm going to be starting from. Yeah, yeah. I've I've, I've heard a lot of people say that's a really a big help for them, and that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and as Jeff said, you're also an actor who has been part has been a part of some well known projects. I'm curious if you took anything you've experienced or learned from those bigger projects and sets, and then translated to your film that indie filmmakers may not think of. Yeah, I mean. Honestly, the the greatest learning experience I had was as a stand-in. Um, I was oh, a stand-in for years and years and years. That's how I made the majority of my money at the beginning of my career. So for people who don't know what a stand-in is, is the actors will come in and they'll block out the scene and, you know, camera will see where it's going to go. And then the actors will leave and then stand-ins or second team will come in and they'll stand on the marks and... Um, you know, the the camera department and lighting department will use the stand-ins to light the scene for uh, for the actors. And so I worked on some big, big, you know, hundreds of million dollar films um, that take place in space. And <laughs> I um, that are produced by J.J. Abrams. Um, and I learned so much on those shows. I was actually probably quite annoying, to be honest, um, because I got uh, a grant because I'm from Canada and they just like give you money sometimes to make stuff uh, to make my first short film while I was standing in on this big show. So I asked all the questions. I was like, why are you using that camera? Why are you using that lens? What are you doing over there? How are you lighting this? And I just asked so many questions. And so I think just from being on set so much uh, has, I think it made it just less intimidating to be a director maybe just because like I know how set works and I know what everyone's job is and I learned most of that not from acting but from being a stand-in I really got to learn like what everyone's job actually is and that I find is really helpful to understand when people are asking you for things knowing like whose job it is to do what that's smart. You were very observant. You know, it sounds like you learned a lot. That's 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 really cool. So I, you know, I'm also curious when I talk to people. Um, I always ask this question. It's kind of my go-to question. Was there a moment in your life as a child or a teenager when you knew you had to tell stories for a living, either as an actress or a, or a filmmaker? How did that happen for you? Well, so when I was three years old, I was cast, no big deal, as the lead angel or the head angel in the Christmas pageant. Uh, so for those of you who are not aware of the Christmas pageant uh, storytelling, that the head angel is the one that tells the shepherds where to go to find the baby Jesus. And I was very excited. And I remember, I have pictures of this actually, of in my little angel outfit. And 
my cheeks are bright red. And my mom <laughs> said, like, she's like, you cannot go. You're sick. And I said to her, I'm three years old. I go, mom, the show must go on. And <laughs> I forced her to take me to the show. And I just remember, I don't remember anything other than standing under the lights and saying my line. And like, I was three and I'm like, this, this, this is what I want to do. So that was kind of my first moment of like wanting to be an actor. My first moment of like really being amazed by films and and being like, I want to do that was when I went and saw Jurassic Park in the movie theater in like 1993. I was like 10 years old or something. And I just remember sitting there and I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time. I was just like so fascinated by everything that was happening. Again, my poor mother, I made her take me to that movie so many times, (laughs) so many times. And she just did not want to take me any more times. But I'm like, no, we have to go again. And so that was sort of the first time I think that I, I really understood the power of cinema. It took a long time for me to want to be a filmmaker. My whole focus was being an actor for a really, really long time. But when I look back at all the things I did in pursuit of my acting, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I definitely always wanted to be a filmmaker. I just didn't know it. Yeah. And once you kind of knew you wanted to be a filmmaker, I'm curious, what were your favorite filmmakers or films that influenced your work once you kind of delved into that part of filmmaking? Yeah, I mean, I just love movies. <laughs> like, I just, I just love movies. I don't even know, you know, obviously Steven Spielberg. Like, who doesn't love Steven Spielberg? Um, the other person that I really loved when I really started to learn is Peter Berg and Friday Night Lights. That was another movie that kind of like gritty, raw, like, I, that's the first time I really understood how to use lighting and color and texture um a movie which is so funny because it's about football and like no offense like i know that americans love football a lot um i'm not really into football um but i just love that movie so much and so yeah i'm just trying to think if there's anyone else but i just i just loved movies i would just watch everything i possibly could and where can people find you if they want to know more about your work? Are you uh, like an Instagram person? Or Probably I Instagram. Mentioned- I don't have the TikTok. Um, so at Laura Adkin um, or at Reuniting Film. Awesome. Well, have you been to Austin before? Uh, I have. This is actually my third film to screen at the Austin Film Festival. Oh, nice. Okay. Well, you know what you're doing. Then you know where to go to find all the great food and the and the good coffee. So good for you. I'm so excited. The last time I was there actually was in 2018 when there was like that water thing that happened. There was like a water. Oh, the, the Yeah. The uh, well, there have been a couple of water things. <laughs> Yeah, where like the water was contaminated, and so oh, like, right, 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 all right. the coffee shops shut down except like one coffee shop. Yeah, they were bringing in like bottled water to make coffee. Yeah, it was oh, crazy. Yeah. yeah, it was that was crazy. So hopefully that doesn't happen again. <laughs> well, Andrew and I, I will be here. Coffee. You need what was that? You need your coffee. 
I need my coffee. Yes, yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. Well, Andrew and I will be uh, at the festival. Hopefully we'll get a chance to meet in person and shake your hand. And oh, I would and, love that. And congratulations again. I really, I really did enjoy the film. It's just so much fun and it's, it's smartly written. It's well acted. And I think you're going to have uh, great luck with it. So uh, break a leg uh, at the festival and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Filmmaker Mixer podcast, a podcast created and hosted by filmmakers Jeff Stolen and Andrew Lamping and produced by Melody Lopez. Our theme song was composed by Stephen D. Bennett. Make sure to follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on and stay tuned for future episodes.